invite you to uh, join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, even as we've sung these songs about your love for us, and use the, even the imagery of, of a storm, that at times your love overwhelms us. Um, and Lord, that when we walk through places in our lives where we, where we feel like we, we are going to be overcome, but Lord, we thank you that, that we are secure in your love. Father, our, our hearts go to what's going on in our nation right now with the, these hurricanes. We think of Houston, we think of Florida, we think of the Caribbean. And Father, we, we pray that, that you would be at work, Lord. We pray for safety for those in the path of these storms. Father, we pray that in some way you might be able to reveal yourself even in the midst of these storms. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters, churches. We pray, Father, that you would give them opportunity to be able to, to minister to represent you, Lord, to those who are hurting, to those who are needy. Father, even as we gather this morning, we pray that you would you would help us, Lord, help us to see you, remove those things that would distract us. Lord, we, we need you. And I pray, Father, that as your word goes forth, that you would empower it, that you would use it, even as the imperfect vessel that, that I am as your messenger, I pray, Father, that you would you would speak to us. Well, we just finished up a, a series It's not about us. Um, we've had an opportunity to take a look at the character qualities of God and consider the implications that they have for us. And, and you know, the reality is, <clears throat> whenever you come into encounter with God, it, it's got it's to impact us. It's got to change us, doesn't it? Next week, we're going to start a series on the mission, the mission of the church. We saw that, that bumper. I thought between those two, it would be good for us to just take some time and consider Consider why. Why do we do the things that we do? What's the motivation of our heart? You realize that we can do all the right things and do them all for the wrong reasons. We can do all the right things and still not be doing them for God. If you have your, uh, your, your card and you want to follow along in, in your notes, I certainly would invite you to, uh, to do that. And the central theme this morning of this message is this. A church is only as strong as its love for God. A church is only as strong as its love for God. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Do you remember what it was like when you first met that special someone and love began to grow in your heart for them the more you got to know them? Do you remember that? Maybe for some that's been quite a few years ago. Do you remember when you delighted in doing those, those special things for them, not because you felt obligated, because you felt duty, but because you wanted to? Um, I met my wife at Liberty University. We sang in the same chamber choir together. Actually, I was the bass, she was an alto, which in our choir meant she always stood in front of me. And um, so she did that for a number of years, and so I got to know her pretty well over those years before we actually began to date. It wasn't until my senior year. She tells me I was slow. My wife's birthday is in February, and so I, I, I planned a surprise birthday party for her. I invited her friends to all come. I ordered this birthday cake for her from this country store that was about seven miles up beyond the, the, the mountain campus where, where I attended. And the day that I was supposed to go and pick up that birthday cake, it snowed. Now, if you know anything about Virginia and snow, you know that the, when that happens, everything gets shut down. 
So much so that they said, the, the state police gave this, this, uh, this statement that said that emergency travel only is allowed on the expressways. This was an emergency. You can't have a birthday without a birthday cake, right? And um, actually, I didn't have to go on the highways because it was on these country mountain roads that, that I had to travel to. And hey, I'm from the north, so I jumped in my car and, and, I, and I drove to, the, uh, to this little backcountry store that I bought my cake. And when I got there, you know what I found? It was closed. It was closed. But, but hey, I drove this far, and I'm not going to be deterred from that. So I started knocking on doors, and I found the door of the owner of the, of the uh, country store. And he's like, what are you doing out here? Are you crazy? It's like, well, I need this birthday cake. You know, anyway. So he gave me the birthday cake. Um, I got back to campus, and, and we had this surprise party. Now, that, that, that story comes full circle, though, because that's, that spring then, my wife went to that same country store. She got a soda or pop. She's sitting on the front um, porch of this, of the, of the store there, the country store, and she's sitting there having this conversation with the owner. And in the course of the conversation, he went out and he, and he, he started to tell her about this crazy guy that came in the wintertime. And he drove through this snowstorm to get this birthday cake for his girlfriend. And she looked and she said, that cake was for me. I am the girlfriend. You know, we, we live in a world where things do not naturally go from chaos to order. Think about that for a minute. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if they did, if things went from chaos to order? I mean, if any of you have seen the van that I drive, you know, it's all rusty. Wouldn't it be great if I could drive that and the longer that I drove it, the less and less rust that it had until finally it looks brand spanking new? Wouldn't that be awesome if things went like that? Now, we all laugh and smile because we know that that's not the way the world works, right? Things don't go from chaos to order. Things go from order to chaos. I mean, all you need to do is ask a parent after their son or daughter has cleaned their room, right? It doesn't take very long before the order is now chaos again, right? And you know, the same thing's true in relationships, right? The same thing's true in relationships. Without time and energy and care, relationships don't automatically get stronger, do they? It would be great if they did, but that's not the way it works. So today what we want to do is we want to take a look at the church of Ephesus and see what happened to their love relationship with Christ over time. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 1, just seven verses, Revelation 2 beginning in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Then verse 4, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, we see this letter that's written to the church of Ephesus, and we see this commendation that Jesus Christ gives to them. And it says they were doing many things right. They were doing many things right. Now, I'm going to fly through this because this isn't the the main gist of my message. So there's some blanks you can fill in here. The first one is this, that they were a serving church. It says, I know your deeds. This church was busy about doing the work of church. They were busy meeting together. They were busy running programs. They were sharing the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, Paul says that as a result of the church at Ephesus, It says that all of the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You hear that? They were actively serving as a church and spreading forth the gospel. So they were a serving church. Secondly, they were a sacrificing church. It says here that they were working hard. They weren't working at their play and playing at their work. They were toiling at the work of God. I mean, the word that's used here in the Greek, it says here this this word for hard work means to toil to the point of exhaustion. So they weren't only serving, they were sacrificial in their serving. Thirdly, they were a persevering church. They were persevering under pressure and trials. Now again, we get a picture of that back in Acts chapter 19, because we read about a riot that breaks out against the church of Ephesus because they've been having an impact on their culture. They've been having an impact on the pagan idolatry to, this, to the goddess Artemis. And this was getting the silversmiths silver pretty upset because they were losing business. I mean, the Christians were saying to them, man-made gods aren't really gods, and as a result, people were turning away from this false worship, and they were turning to God. Well, that started to affect the bottom line for these, these uh, silversmiths and their idol-making, and they, they incited a riot against the church. They were a persevering church because they didn't give up. And fourthly, they they were a separated church. We we read, you cannot tolerate wicked men, but you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. It was a church that was not willing to put off with wicked practices. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns them that when he leaves, that there's going to be false teachers who are going to come who are going to distort the truth. He tells them to be on their guard. And according to what Jesus Christ is saying here, In Revelation, they're doing what Paul commanded. They're not putting up with false teaching. I mean, the bottom line is this church is doing many things right. I mean, how do you think they felt when this letter is is read in their midst and and they're getting this commendation? They're probably excited. They're probably grateful. But what happened? The next thing we see in this passage is not a commendation, but it's a charge against the church. And Jesus says this, yet I hold this against you. Now, I I don't know about you, but just think about that for a minute. The God of the universe has been telling you about all the right things you've been doing, and then all of a sudden he says, yet I have this against you. You ever, you ever been gotten that, that, that phone call or, you know, maybe you, you, you get that email from your boss and he says, um, hey, I, I want you to come into my office. We got some stuff we got to talk about. You know, and you, you get that pit in your stomach and you start thinking, it's like, oh, did, what did I forget? I mean, I, 
what have I forgotten to do? You start running through your mind all the things. Man, it's like I can't think of anything that I haven't, been, haven't done. I've been doing all the things that he asked me to do. You know, surely that was what was going through the church of Ephesus. You know, they're thinking, well, we, we've done all of these things. What have we forgotten to do? And then Jesus said this. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean when we talk about that I've left my first love? I, I, I want to suggest a number of ideas here. That, that our love for God has begun to cool. That our orthodoxy, that is that our right beliefs have been replaced with a, a mechanical routine. That our affections have been replaced with complacency. That we've lost our excitement and our devotion for Christ that we once had. That Christianity has become a religion. It, it, we focus more on the outward behavior instead of on the relationship that comes from the heart. You know, it's that we're, we're carrying out our Christian responsibilities with diminishing love for the Lord. You know, it is possible to serve and to sacrifice and to persevere and to suffer for Christ's sake, and yet not really love God as we ought. And that's exactly what was happening here to the church at Ephesus. So what does this process of, of leaving your first love look like? Well, I want to suggest that it could possibly look like something like this. We start out excited about Christ, and everything is focused on Him and for Him. But as we're serving God, we get this idea, is my service for God good enough? And when we ask that question very quickly, we, we, we begin to shift our focus off of, of God and onto our performance and onto to what we do. And we begin to measure success, not by our obedience, but by our results, by appearance. We begin to drift away from God all the while we're working hard for God. When we first started out, we had faith. We had faith in God. He was our resource. He was all we wanted. He was all we needed. But then we start to believe that we can make a difference on our own. It stopped somewhere along the ways. It stopped being about God, and it became about us. And gradually, we lost our passion for God and for other people. A loss of a vital love relationship with Christ. And it opens the door to spiritual apathy, to indifference, to compromise. I want you to just pause here for just a second. You think about Losing your first love. I mean, we, we've all been there, haven't we? Where our love isn't what it ought to be. I mean, some of us may be right there right now. We're going through the motions. We're doing the right things. We're saying what we should say, but our heart's not there. It's just not in it. I mean, your focus may be more on proving yourself than on loving and enjoying God. Could be that you care more about the traditions of the church than you care about the God of the church or of his people. You know, it's kind of like marriage. You know, you bring home the paycheck, you do the dishes, you fold the clothes, you do the honey-do list, and yet your love for your spouse isn't where it once was. You used to delight in doing those things. Why? You did them because you out of love, right? 
You did them out of love for your spouse, but now it seems more like a duty and a chore. And what Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, and I think what he's saying to us as a church at East Bay Calvary, is that it's possible to do all the right things without love for God. Now, the Bible tells us that the heart is, is wicked and deceitful, and it's hard for us to understand it, you know? And, and it can be hard for us to discern at times. But I just want to ask these, these questions. These, hopefully these are diagnostic questions to help us this morning. Let me just ask this. Why do you serve God? Why do you serve God? Is it to please God? Or is it so you can feel good enough about yourself? So you can feel like you measure up or you're accepted? Do you desire God's pleasure more than you desire the applause of men or, or of significance? Do, do you feel pressure to prove yourself to, so that you can feel secure, so you can feel of worth? Do you think that if you do more, if you accomplish more, if you reach more, that then you'll be acceptable to God? I mean, do you spend time with God to meet with God, or is it because you know that's something that good Christians are supposed to do? Now, fortunately, the passage doesn't end there. Because the passage goes on, and quite honestly, it gives us the answer. I mean, Jesus' very words to us. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember. You know, our relationship with Jesus Christ is the greatest romance story of all time. All marriages, quite honestly, are designed to point us to that one true love. I mean, think about it. We were powerless. We were fallen. We were ungodly. We were helpless and lost. And the all-powerful one, the perfect one, the, the all-loving one, the prince, he came and he rescued us. And it sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like a fairy tale? I mean, we're, we're hopeless and the prince comes and rescues us. But you know what? This isn't a fairy tale. This is the truth. This is what God's word says. And we were moved by that sacrificial love for us. We were all overwhelmed by his compassion for us. And we so loved him. But what happened? Well, Jesus tells us that we've forgotten. He says, we need to remember. He tells us we need to look back to the cross that reminds us. What is the cross? It reminds us that we were wicked and lost. And there was nothing that we could do to be good enough. There was nothing that we could do to make ourselves acceptable to God. We were dead. We were dead in our, our trespasses and sin. You know, one of the greatest strategies that Satan uses against us, you know what it is? Is to get us to forget. To forget what Jesus Christ has done for us and how much God loves us. I mean, if he can get us to do that, if he can get us to take our eyes off of Christ and to look to something else or someone else to measure up, he can defeat us. I mean, at the cross, not only are we confronted with the depth of our sin, but at the cross is where we're confronted with the unconditional love of God that is intended to overwhelm us. I mean, Romans 5, we're familiar with this passage, but listen to it. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 says this. 
you see just at the right time. When we, and what is that time? It says, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, did you hear that? It says when we were powerless, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners. That is when Jesus died for us. I mean, let me just ask, why did you first love God? You know, the Bible actually answers that for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love God, why? Because he first loved us, right? We love, our love for God grows out of an experience of love for, for God for us. I mean, do you remember when you first believed in Christ? I mean, what was it about Christ that was so compelling to you? The gospel is not about what you do for God. The gospel is about what Jesus Christ has done for us by dying on the cross. You know, religion can tell you what to do. Right? Religion can say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But only the gospel gives you the power to be able to do that. The gospel produces an obedience that is powered by a desire. It's powered by love and gratitude for God. So we need to remember. We need to look back to the love that God has for us, poured out on the finished work of the cross. I mean, it's Christ in your place, getting what you deserved so that you can be in Christ's place and get what you don't deserve. That is the forgiveness of your sins in being named as his child. 1 John 3, 1 says it this way. It says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. You know how it goes? So the what? So that we can be called the children of God. And that is what you are. You know, it's interesting to remember that the epistle, Ephesians, right, written to this church that we're talking about, that the first half of it is all about who they are in Christ. And then the second half is what they're supposed to do. And a matter of fact, within the epistle of Ephesians, Paul writes prayers for this church. And one of those prayers that he prays for the church is that they would understand the depth of the love that God has for them. And somewhere along the line, they've forgotten that. And so Jesus comes along and he says, remember, look to the cross. Now secondly, Jesus says here, in verse 5, he says, repent. So not only remember, we need to repent. Now to repent is to have a change in your thinking and then go in the opposite direction. It's to admit to being distracted from a wholehearted pursuit of God. You know, Typically, when we think about repentance, the th first thing we think about is sin. I need to repent of my sin, right? And we know what sin is. Sin is when I violate the standard of God. And certainly, we need to repent of that. When we've disobeyed God's word, when we've disobeyed his commands and his truth, we need to repent of that. But maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's distraction. Maybe you're distracted by pursuing something that is good, but that is the thing that's keeping you from your relationship with God. 
You know, we talked earlier about how even serving God can be a distraction from loving God. This summer, I took a group of students to, uh, to TLC. I was at a teen leadership conference. And probably the message that impacted me the most was the story about Mary and Martha. Now, you guys are familiar with that story, most likely, but just let me just review it real quickly. So Martha's the doer, right? That's me. That's probably why it convicted me so much. So she invites, she opens her home, she invites Jesus to come, and he does, right? And he's in the living room, and she's in the kitchen. She's preparing the meal. And where is her sister, Mary? You remember, right? Mary's in the living room sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? And she's in there doing all these things, getting the food all ready. And, and she kind of gets ticked off finally. And she goes to Jesus. And she wants Jesus to tell Mary to come in the kitchen to help. And the passage actually says this. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, it says, Martha was distracted. And so when she goes to Jesus and she says, you know, send Mary, Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen what is better. Do you understand what's being said here? We can be distracted. Is there anything the matter with serving God by preparing a meal? No, there's nothing the matter with that. But you understand the passage says she was distracted for something that was better. Do you realize that all kinds of things in our lives, good things in our lives, can be a distraction from us? To actually pursuing and loving and valuing Christ? You know, maybe it's not the sin you need to repent of this morning. Maybe it's the good things that are in your life that you need to repent of this morning that are distraction from you and are keeping you from pursuing Christ. Now, the idea of repent is to turn away from from, so that we can turn to. Repentance means to turn away from whatever you've been focusing on to gain your significance or your security or, or your rest and turn toward focusing on Christ and his acceptance and his love for you. We need to look up with a singular focus on Christ. You know, the book of Revelation begins with a description of Christ. And you read, you read Revelation chapter 1, and it's an amazing description. But in, in verses 5 and 6, it says this. It says, to him, that is Christ, who loves us and has freed us by, from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom and, and priests to serve him. And then verse 8, it says that Jesus is, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty God. We need to not just not only remember by looking back to the cross and seeing his love for us, we need to repent and we need to look up into the face of our Savior and see his beauty and see that he is the perfect Son of God. We need to look with a singular focus on him. He is the one who is the beginning and the end. He is the one who's eternal. He's always been. He is the one who's the almighty God, the one who, who desires a love relationship with us, and he's the only one who can love us unconditionally and perfectly. You know, sometimes we think that if we just change our behavior, that that's enough, that that's good enough. But it ignores the real issue, and the real issue is our hearts. The only way we can have true heart change happen is by the principle of displacement. Displacement happens when you push out something, whatever it is, you push it out with something that's greater, right? So what is it that has a hold of your heart? 
You know what? We need to push that out with a greater love, a greater affection for Jesus Christ. Now you may ask, well, how can I develop that greater affection for Christ? Since that's what I've lost. And that's a good question, right? And that takes us to our third point. We need to remember, look to the cross. Look back to the cross, what he's done for us, right? We need to repent, and that is look, into, look up into our Savior's face. And then this passage goes on and says, we need to do the things you did at first. In other words, we need to repeat. We need to repeat. We need to do again the practices that endeared our hearts to Christ. We need to do again the faithful steps of discipleship that you took as a new believer. I mean, we, we need to stop. We need, we need to marvel. We need, we need to ponder. We need to reflect. We need to worship and spend time with God in His Word and in prayer and in fellowship with others. Now, if you're tracking with me here, some of you may be thinking, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus said they were doing all the right stuff, but their hearts were, were far from me. They, they weren't where they needed to be. They were, they were cold in their love for me. But you're telling me, Pastor Rice, you're telling me that I need to do more stuff so that I can have a greater affection for God? And, and that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. We need to learn to love certain things, or we do learn to love certain things by participating in habits and practices that train us to love. If our daily routines are our practice of the work of the flesh, we will develop a greater appetite for the flesh. But if our habits put us face to face with the beauties of the gospel of Christ, then we will grow to love those. I mean, what we're talking about here is this idea is that appetites grow as we use them. Now, we all understand this, right? The more that I eat food, the greater my appetite, right? I mean, if I stop eating, if I eat food less and less and less, right? I mean, I have smaller meals. What happens to my appetite? It shrinks, right? We know that. And that's true of all appetites. People who struggle, for instance, with pornography, right, develop a stronger and stronger and stronger desire for it the more they feed it. The same thing is true for if we're lazy. You know, the, the stronger your desire to sit around, and the more you do that, the more you don't want to do anything else but sit around, right? I mean, that's the way it works. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. The more we focus on Christ by getting into his word, getting into prayer, practicing purity, the more we will desire him. Disciplining ourselves to do what we don't always want to do helps us to learn to love the things that we should love. But now, now listen to me, though, because the key is this. The key is your focus. The key is your focus. For instance, let's take fasting. We talked about food. How about fasting? Does fasting, that is depriving your body of food, make you more pleasing to God? And the answer is no. It doesn't, right? If you use the, absence of, uh, the abstinence of food as a way to try to measure up to become more acceptable to God, then fasting actually, instead of drawing you to God, will actually make you more carnal. You know why? Because if I'm trying to fast to be acceptable to God, and I'm succeeding, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look down on my nose on all of you people who aren't, doing, who aren't disciplined like I am. I think, man, what kind of Christians are they? And if I'm, if I'm not doing very well, right, if I'm losing out of this, I'm going to feel rejected, and I'm going to feel shamed, and I'm going to feel low, right? So you see that if my focus is to help me become more acceptable to God by fasting, you see, you realize it makes me more carnal. 
But if my fast is used to help me to be able to focus on the glories of the gospel and focus on Christ and focus on what he's already done for you, for me and for you, then fasting can become a pipeline through which the power of the gospel can flow. I mean, think of it like this. The spiritual disciplines are the vehicle that help us grow in our relationship with God, but the gospel, that is the love of God for you and for me, his grace is the gasoline that goes in the vehicle, that fuels the vehicle, that makes it work. Because without our focus, and that's the key word, without our focus on God and the gospel, the vehicle doesn't go anywhere. Does that make sense? I mean, another example is fruit bearing. We know that as Christians, we're supposed to bear fruit, right? If you focus all your attention on fruit bearing, you know what's going to happen? You're going to become frustrated and upset and not very fruitful. So where does our focus need to be? Our focus needs to be on Christ. Right? We focus on God's acceptance of us, the fact that this is a gift from God, and as we abide in Christ and we're swept up in what, who He is and what He's done for us, what will happen? We'll bear fruit. So we can't forget that the spiritual disciplines are not a way to earn God's love. We're already loved and accepted by God because of the gospel. The practice of the spiritual disciplines then become a conduit into which God can draw us into a relationship, closer relationship with Him, as we're reminded about how amazing our God is and how sacrificial His love is for us. So we need to remember. We need to repent. We need to repeat those things that we did at first. I mean, just imagine. Just imagine with me. Imagine if we were a church who not only sacrificially served and suffered and persevered, but if we did it all because we loved God more than anything else. Imagine. Imagine if we were a church that was known for our love of people without strings attached. Imagine if, we, if, if our love for God and His kingdom were so much greater than our love for our own kingdom. Would you want to be part of a community like that? I mean, what an amazing community that would be. And that is what God's calling us to. I need to wrap this up because we can do all the right things. That's what was going on with this church. They were doing all the right things. We can do all the right things, but if they're not done out of a love for Christ, they're ultimately worthless. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 too, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, and those would be amazing, by the way. But he says, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I mean, as you see here this morning, if you're not where you should be spiritually, the answer is not just to get busier for Jesus. That is not the answer. The answer is what Jesus just told us. The answer is to remember the cross. Look back to the love of God radically poured out for you on the cross and allow God's love to penetrate your heart. And while I'm here, let me just say this. I mean, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never come to the place where you've acknowledged your sinfulness and seen the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's death for you, today would be a wonderful day to acknowledge that and to surrender your life to him. We have an amazing rescuer 
He's the lover of our souls. And that's why he gave his life, that you could be forgiven, that you could be his. So we need to remember. We need to repent. Let's look up. We need to look up. That is, then we need to repent of our sins and stop doing what we know is wrong, but we also need to repent of those good things that may be distracting us away from our affection for Christ. And then lastly, we need to repeat. Look ahead. Replace those things that you, that you repented of by beginning to practice those things that you did before. Those things that endeared you to Christ. Those things that helped you to focus daily on Christ. And the more you get to know him, the more you're going to love him. Because that's who he is. I'm going to ask if you would just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute. I mean, how many of you here today would say that your love for God has grown cold? Your love for God isn't where it, it needs to be. You've been serving. Your serving has become more about you than about God. Let me see. Anybody raise their hand and admit my, my love for God today is not where it should be? Okay, I see some hands. Anybody else? All right. You put them down. I mean, if that's you, I just want to challenge you to do what Jesus instructed us to do. I mean, he challenged us to, to repent. I mean, if you have sin in your life, obviously we need to take care of that. You know? If you have things that are in violation of God's word, God says he's faithful and just to forgive us as we confess our sin. You willing to repent of that and turn from it? Tell it to God. Maybe it's because there's distractions that are in your life. There's good, they're good things. They're not bad, but they're keeping you from focusing and rejoicing and loving God as you are. You tell that to God. And then the last thing is you need not only turning away from, but turning to. What do you need to begin to practice in your life that's going to renew your love for God? Will you commit to those practices? Father, thank you for being here with us today. Thank, thank you, Father, for this, this word to the church at Ephesus that's a word to East Bay Calvary. God, forgive us for not loving you as we ought. Lord, forgive us for seeking after other lovers thinking somehow that, that, that other things and other people are somehow better or greater than you. God, even good things that can draw us away and cause our, our love to become stale and cold. God, I pray that you would move in, in this place. Lord, reveal those things to us. Lord, help us to repent and turn from them and turn towards those things that will draw us into greater affection for you. Thank you for meeting with us, we pray in Jesus' name.